You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. Uh, we're continuing this series called God Is, and, and, and I want you to uh, just close your eyes for a moment. Close your eyes um, and, and think about the first word that you think of when you, when you hear God is. What's that, what's that most prominent word that comes to your mind when you think, oh, God is this? For me, last night as I was praying, uh, it's God is holy. That, that was, that's the first word that comes to mind for me. God is, God is holy. Our God is a complex God. He, he's more than that. You, you may have thought of sovereign or he is big. He's, he's both of those things. Uh, you may have thought that God is love or that God is light. Maybe some of the other themes that we've already talked about. What I found last night is that God is love is not the first thing that I go to, and it's maybe the last thing that I go to. Isn't that a strange coincidence? Um, we'll, talk, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. But uh, my question for you is, do you trust God's heart for you? Do you trust God's heart for you. Not, not at the intellectual level, like from the knowledge standpoint, oh yeah, I've read in the Bible over and over and over again that God loves me. God is there for me, that God won't fail me. But do you, at the heart level, the automatic response to whatever the situation is, yep, God loves me. Do you trust that? Because if I'm honest, I don't always trust that. I don't always trust that. And, and John wants to help us address that today. Uh, again, he's writing these letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, uh, these short letters, and each letter gets shorter. And hopefully, as I continue to preach in this series, the sermons get shorter if I'm following John's lead at all. Let's, let's see what happens. But uh, he's writing to people that have this world view, this Greek and Oriental world view. They, the, the Gnostics, they, they claim to have exclusive knowledge on what it meant to be connected to God. And, and so they say, hey, to get to God, you have to, get, you have to go through me. You have to come to me first. And, and John says, no, no, that, that's not true. Um, they had this worldview that the world was created by a lesser deity. They had this pantheistic, this multi-God worldview, which was a chaotic, angry God worldview, that the gods were angry. The world is chaotic because of the gods themselves. It's not our fault. It's their fault. And we're just kind of... Uh, not, not, not happy little mistakes, but um, unhappy little mistakes. Bob Ross would probably have something to say about that, wouldn't he? 
But um, this is the world that John's writing to. And we have to understand that to understand the message. And love is a big theme for John. I won't give you all the details of, of why I believe that's true. We'll talk about that in footnotes. I figure when we're going to talk about love, we probably shouldn't uh, muddy that conversation with a bunch of data. So we'll hold the data till footnotes. But it's interesting. John, this is a big conversation for John. So let's jump into it. 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, that's already somewhat problematic. John seems to say that the only way we know how to love is if we know God. So think about all your friends that have never been introduced to Christ or maybe have been introduced to Christ and they, they rejected him. Is John saying that they don't know how to love? We'll have to, we'll have to wrestle through that. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has seen God at any time. Now, John's gonna repeat this theme. And so we'll want to pay attention to that. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What's he mean by perfected? <clears throat> by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. John's going to present to us this idea that in order for us to love like God, we need to be perfected in that love, that we need to abide in that love, and that we need the work of the Holy Spirit. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Again, last week I said that abiding is this concept that John wants us to really grasp, really hang on to, so we should pay attention to that. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world." Part of what John's saying here is we experience God's love more the more we love others. We need to hang on to that as well. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. In our Life Transforming group, we read through this section of scripture a few weeks ago. And that every day when I came to this, I had to wrestle with this question of, has, have I allowed God's love to be perfected in my heart? And, and I had to answer the question, no. I, I have not allowed that. God's love has not been perfected in my heart because I still fear. I still fear God. And then the second question that kind of 
comes after that is, is do other people, because of my love, have, have they been perfected? Does, do I love other people? Do I love my wife and my, and my sons and my, all my children and my friends? Does my love cast out fear in their lives? Am I helping them be less fearful because of the way I choose to love? Am I casting out fear? We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar for the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So John comes back to this idea that we have not seen God. Now, is that true that we have not seen God? Yes, that, that is true. But then again, maybe that's not as true as we might think because we are image bearers. And John's saying, if I can't love the image bearers, the, the people that I have seen who reflect our God, who each of us carries some, some component, some kind of picture. I'm convinced that each of us, when we're at our very best, whether we mean to or not, when we're at our very best, we tell the world a story about God. Now, some of us are going, I really want to live that out well. Some people choose to never live that out. That is a difference maker. But if I can't love the image bearer, John says, you're never going to love the one that created them in the first place to bear his image. And this is the commandment that we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So John raises some interesting questions and, and uh, there's some interesting problems here. Um, again, the people that have never been introduced to Christ, we'll just, we'll just talk about them. Those who uh, around the world, uh, there's still people groups that have never been introduced, introduced to Christ. And so are, are, is John saying that those folks are unable to love, like our moms and dads within those communities or, or, or friends or neighbors from high school or, or whatever, people in our lives that have rejected Christ, is, is John saying that they have no capacity to love? We, we're going to have to wrestle through what does John actually mean there? Is, is this hyperbole? Is this exaggeration? Or what is it that he's talking about? Well, we've got some answers there. In this section... John's saying to the Gnostics, God is love. He's not some spiritual concept. It doesn't take special knowledge to experience God. We experience God through his love. And in part, we experience that through the people that God has placed in our lives. We should experience the love of God through the people God has placed in our lives. And, and the people that God's placed in your lives should see God's image in the way that you love them. 
And in the pantheistic world that John is writing into, this idea of a loving God is, I guess that is a mind-blowing concept. And, And maybe that's why John is writing about this like he is doing, because in the Jewish world, they, they had some kind of concept that God loved them, that God showed a, a, an unmerited kindness towards them. They had those ideas, but in the pantheistic world, like, there's no loving God. There's a bunch of gods up there, and they're just hashing it out, and we're the byproduct of their war, and get out of the way because they're not done yet. I'm not so sure our world doesn't look like that still today. I mean, look at our entertainment. We've got these beings, if the superheroes that if they're in a good mood, you know, they're for you. If they're in a bad mood, get out of the way. If some alien being takes over takes them over, they dance funny while they're walking down the street. And, uh, you know, and that's creepy. Um, Spider-Man, what was that one? With Venom and all that, where he's dancing, walking down the street and checking out the girls. I mean, that's uh, some crazy stuff. These superheroes are our demigods. And those are the stories that we love. Those are the stories that we're drawn to. Those are the stories that we'll spend some serious dinero on, right? Because to some degree, we still believe in that line of thinking that this world is out to get us, that, that uh, we're a casualty of, of God's anger. Like we buy into that storyline still. So a couple of thoughts I think that we need to gain from what John is saying here in this section. One, we will not love each other well if we do not trust God's heart for us. We will not love each other well if we do not trust God's heart for us. We probably have all experienced that rescue dog where they, they become your instant best friend. They're always, you know, by your side. They're, they wag the tail when you come walking through the door. But if you raise your hand in just the wrong way, to scratch your head, they, they, shy, they shy away. Have you, have you seen that? Where you, it just like you go to pick something up off the shelf and the dog just sees something and and they're, they're running. That instant connection is instantly lost. See, we learn to fear to love through our experiences. When our first crush breaks up with us, when someone who said they were our best friend acts like our worst enemy. When a parent acts one way one day and another way another day. When our spouse is unfaithful. 
through a thousand different circumstances in our experience, we learn to not trust. And love fails us over and over and over again. And, and like that, that rescue dog that responds to, to an old experience in the present. And, and it's not based upon your character. It's not based upon your actions. It's based upon someone else's character and someone else's actions. And we, we apply that fear to, to our God. The, the Israelites did this. They're walking in the desert. They're used to Pharaoh. They grumble because of their circumstances. Their hearts don't know how to trust God yet. The 40 years in the desert was not just a, a, a punishment. It was a retuning of the heart. It was God teaching himself to the people of Israel. I think about uh, how my first marriage has uh, had an impact on me uh, in the way I've related with my wife of 25 years. She, my first wife was unfaithful a number of times in, in a very short period of time. And then she discarded me. And there's been so many times where I've questioned Christie's heart towards me because of actions that she's never done before. Like she's the most faithful, loyal person I know. But my heart hasn't always been ready for her, her love. We will not love each other well if we do not trust God's heart for us. If we allow those experiences, those earthly experiences, to change the way we view our heavenly Father and his heart for us. And then John says that, well, we must understand what kind of love is John talking about because that's important. In our English language, we have one word that has lots of different meanings. If I tell you that I, I love ice cream and I love baseball and I love my wife, like those are three separate conversations. Those, you know, and I love my best friend. Like those, those are different levels of love. And if you, if, if you don't understand that, then you don't understand my relationship to those, to those things. Well, in the Hellenistic world, there were three words for love. Agape, eros, and phylos. Eros and phylos are the most common words you'll see within Greek literature. The, the world that John is writing to, they, they focused on eros, which is a sexual love, and phylos, which is, which is a friendship, it's a com, com, camaraderie. Where agape is the principal 
New Testament word used for love. Where the Bible focuses in on, on agape, the world, the culture focuses in on these other two words. And I think that's still true today. So again, eros is a sexual love. It's, it's that spark of life that, that my wife and I enjoy together. Phylos is a friendship. We get the uh, Philly cheesesteak. We love those things, don't we? <laughs> There's a companionship when I eat that Philly cheesesteak. There's a friendship there. You, um, what have you done for me lately, Philly cheesesteak? Uh, you give me a lot of calories. Uh, agape is, is an unmerited love that God shows to humankind in sending his son as a suffering redeemer. The, the, the two words, again, that, that our culture and that culture likes to think about, likes to propagate, likes to talk about, likes to sing about, likes to celebrate is eros and phylos. These are a kind of love that have a give and take to them. These, these kinds of loves are based upon experiences. They are limited to specific people. If you have eros for everybody, that's creepy. That should be limited. If you have phylos for everybody, then maybe you don't have any boundaries. They are a love that focuses in on needs. And again, both eros and phylos, they're necessary. They're good even. They are God-given. But John introduces us to agape in John 3.16. For God so loves, for God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now, could God send Jesus into the world to judge it. Did, did we deserve judgment? We were told that while we were yet sinners and while we were still his enemy, Christ died for us. So he had, he had the right to judge us. He had the right to send his son, but, but God agape. This is a giving love. This is a sacrificial love. This is an, an enduring love that, that lasts for eternity. And this is a love that gives you what you need, not necessarily what you want, but what you need. I don't know if anybody at the time knew that they needed Christ to go to the cross. They probably all wanted something different. And this is a love without borders. God loved the whole world. It wasn't limited. How does this stack up to uh, what I grew up with in the 80s? Here's some song titles from the 80s. Just a few of them. 
Um, Joy Division says that love will tear us apart. That sounds painful. Def Leppard, love bites. Love that song. Um, how true is it though? Debbie Gibson, when she was all of, I think, what, 16? Uh, she always looked like she was 16, so who knows? But uh, you're looking like love to me. <laughs> Sounds kind of like an Eros love, doesn't it? Uh, Robert Palmer said he was addicted to love. Air Supply. They were all out of love. It's kind of like uh, Air Supply is a balloon and someone popped it. They're all out of love. Um, Pat Bantar says that love is a battlefield. And then John, Bovi, John, uh, John Bon Jovi seems to provide commentary on all these other songs. And he says, you give love a bad name. This is the world that I grew up in. This is the world that taught me about love. This in Karate Kid. One, two, and three. If you want to have a messed up view on what it means to love, just watch Karate Kid, one, two, and three, and listen to these songs. Guarantee it'll mess you up. Um, John is saying that it's through Christ that we learn agape. The, the world has already got a handle on phylos and, and eros. It's already got a handle on that. You don't have to worry about phylos and yours. Like we've got that well-defined. John says there's a different kind of love. It's distinct. And we need to teach people about this kind of love because the culture, the culture wants to teach us something completely different, wants to redefine what love looks like. Now, John captures a story in John chapter 21. And this, this, this is how John chooses to end his gospel. It's almost like John needed to have one more conversation about love before he was done. And he captured it through the lens of a relationship between his best friend and his saviors. And if you know the story, Peter... Peter had denied Christ three times on the night that Christ was betrayed. He, betrayed, he uh, denied him three times. Christ went to the cross. He, was, he, was, uh, he died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. And Christ revealed himself to over 500 witnesses. And John says, we are those witnesses. We are telling you what our experience was like with the resurrected one. But then the disciples, they end up in, in Galilee. And John, I'm sorry, not John, but Peter, John with them, but Peter decides to go fishing. And when Peter goes, goes back to fishing, it's not like those of us in the room that like to dabble in fishing. This was Peter's occupation. And so you have to believe, you have to suspect that Peter believes that his denial of Christ three times has disqualified him from service, that the Messiah, that the rabbi no longer has any use for him. And Jesus wants to do something about that. And so John 21, verse 15 through 17, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Now, now maybe Peter's grieved because he had denied Christ three times and Christ just asked him to reaffirm his love for him three times. And maybe, maybe Peter's still wrestling over his mistake. Or maybe Peter's wrestling over something about his love. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend to my sheep. Now, I don't know if this conversation happened in Aramaic or Hebrew, probably Hebrew, because that would have been their spoken language. Um, but, but the Hebrew language doesn't distinct between the types of love like the Greek like the Greeks do, but John records this conversation in a very specific way to help us understand what was going on at the heart level. And so in the Greek, we see a little different picture. And let's bring up that next slide, just to remind you guys the three kinds of love. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, I follow you. A second time, Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter says, I follow you. Jesus says, the third time, do you follow me? And Peter's grieved because he says, do you, follow, do you follow me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I follow you. If Jesus had this conversation with you and he said, do you agape me? What's your answer? Is it agape? Is it philo? Is it something even less than that? Like, what's the most honest answer you could give Jesus? See, I think Peter knows. I think even John knows that their love for God had not been perfected, that their love for Christ had not been perfected. And if their love for God, their love for Christ isn't perfected, then how much more for other people? And yet this is the command. This is 
the command. And so, so that's the kind of love that, that we are called to. Do our friends, do, do they know how to philo and do they know how to eros? I think they do. We're made in the image of God. We're made to love. Well, how often is their love and how often is our love not an agape love? A selfless love, a love that doesn't come with conditions, a love that knows no boundaries, a love that provides exactly what you need because you need it, not because you deserve it, not that because you could pay me back. Do we agape the Father? Has that been perfected? in us. I've been telling you, I've been watching uh, the, the, was it the chosen? The chosen. Um, and when Jesus responds to people for the very first time, just like, like these are stories right out of the scriptures and, and you see this, these actors put on display what this could have looked like. And, and, I, and I watch this interaction and I see the graciousness, the love of Jesus Christ for this person that didn't even ask for it. But Jesus is like, I'm gonna love you anyway. In those moments, I have experienced both weeping and joy all mixed together. It's a good thing I'm all alone in my bedroom when I'm watching these things because it's, you know, it's kind of ugly cry time. Um, no one needs to see that. And it's made me ask the question, why do I not see God like that? Why do I think that's how my relationship with Jesus started? But all these years later, when I am doing all that I can to live for him and I still make mistakes, but I'm like, I, like I'm working feverishly to, to show him how much I love him and adore him and care for him and how much I want to be part of his kingdom. I'm doing all those things. And, and yet I have this expectation that, that our relationship is less than what it was when it was that very first day I came to Christ. That first day I experienced his loving kindness, his graciousness. First time I experienced his agape. Why do I think now, all these years later, that he has something less than agape for me? Why does my heart not trust? Why is that still so hard? John says that through abiding in Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit and when we choose to love other people the way Christ loved us, we get to experience that love and that love becomes perfected in us through that process. And if we're not experiencing that love in more and more in greater detail, we need to keep after it and figure out what's, what's getting in the way. So a few implications this week. 
First, God is love. And the world's attempt to redefine love will always be insufficient. God is love. God is agape. And our world will try to redefine that. Our world even tries to redefine the love of Christ. Like, well, God is, Christ is love. Yes, he loves people so much that he doesn't want them to continue in their sin because it's destructive for them. Christ came to deal with sin. And so we can't do any, any less. At least like we should say, hey, that's, that's troublesome. Like that's painful. It's hard to watch you do that. And the next step, evaluate what culture, what cultural influences you have let water down your understanding of agape. I, I let 80s pop culture define love for me for too many years. Don't ask my wife. <laughs> she knows. My kids know, not because I told them, but because they experienced it. A love that was conditional at times. A love that knew ends. A love that wasn't eternal. It will always fall short. Second implication, to the degree that you fear God's agape has not been perfected in you to the degree that you still fear, to the degree that Rob fears. And I struggle with that. I struggle with that. And, and some of it has to do with our, our, our cultural influence on our ideas of love. Uh, you know, if, if we believe that love makes life easy, then, then when finances are hard, well, that can't be love. I must have failed God. God, God must be punishing me, right? When our, when our health falters, oh, God, God must be trying to get my attention. Something I'm doing that's wrong. Better figure out what that is. when we have relational strife, when we face challenges, when there's political unrest. Have you ever thought about this, that both sides politically in the United States, both sides claim love? They do. They defined it differently. They defined it conditionally. It's not the agape that Christ calls us to. If we choose to abide in fear, and sometimes fear just, I don't know, feels, feels good. I don't know, I, sometimes I love me some good, good old anxiety. I, I just kind of hang on to it. I like the simmer in it. I love to, um, if we choose to abide in the fear, we are choosing to abide in a false love. And it's not, it's not from Christ. Implication number three, you will see God through the way others love you. 
we should see God through the people of the church. We should see God in our interactions with each other. People should come to Christ because of the way we choose to love them. That should be true. But you will know God's love even more when you choose to love. Because you have to abide in Christ to do that. We can't do it apart from him. And so we get to experience that. Jen talked about that on Mother's Day. Her experience. And how she experienced love through her experience as a mother. How she understood God in better ways. His love for her. His unconditional, unmerited love just because she is. We experience that even more when we choose love. Is there sin involved? Yep. Is there messiness? Uh Uh-huh. But sometimes we want to limit who we're willing to love. We have this Venn diagram of those who are like us, and those who are not like us, those who think like us, those who do not think like us, those who act like us, and those who don't act like us, those who believe like us. Like, are we going to really limit who we love because of what we believe and what they believe? I think about all the healings that Jesus Christ did. Not at once did he ever make him take a theological test first. But he always called them to himself. We should call people to Jesus Christ. We, there, there is a theological, there is truth that matters. We should care about that. But are we going to look through a lens of love to look at that truth? Or are we going to make truth our lens? That's the question. Next step. Through tangible actions, love people as if you're loving God. Through tangible actions, love people as if you're loving God. When you serve, do it humbly as if you're serving God himself. Show kindness like you're showing kindness to God himself. Show hospitality as if you're entertaining angels, the scripture tells us. Carry burdens as if you're carrying God's burdens. Because if you do that, if you live that out, you're going to be like your father in heaven. God is love. And our love, his love needs to be perfected in us. And to the degree that we fear that work isn't done. And when we see that, when we respond to circumstances, like life, life, life gets hard and we just, uh, this automatic response, like that could, that could either be a shaming thing, but God never chooses to use shame as a tool, or it could just be a calling to allow God to work in a heart even more. And then we'll experience that love the more we choose to live out that love. 
So let's do that. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.